Hello and welcome to this week's Shoot the Moon podcast with uh, your host, Mike Harbath, here at Revenue Rocket headquarters in Bloomington, Minnesota. Today, as we have in uh, several of our podcasts in recent weeks, we have uh, Ryan Barnett, my partner here at Revenue Rocket, on the call. And today we're going to talk about uh, how long does it take to get an M&A deal done? How long does it take to do an M&A process? And just to share some of the experiences that he and I have cleaned over the years. Ryan? Yeah, hey, Mike. It's, uh, it's, we, we talk to both buyers of companies who are trying to get a deal done and sellers who are trying to, to go to market. And uh, oftentimes we can say a transaction typically takes between uh, six and nine months. Uh, but I think there's a lot of variability in the process. So I kind of wanted to dig in and say, hey, you know, what does a typical deal look like? And what should a, a company, if you're either both on the buy side or sell side, be prepared for when you're actually selling a company? And perhaps uh, our six to nine month guess is just that, just a guess. So uh, let's just break it down from the start. And, and if you're trying to sell your company, Mike, you know, what do the first 30 days look like? And in reality, is, it, is there something even in the 30 days before that? I mean, do you, when do you start actually thinking about a deal uh, before you actually start committing to selling your company? Yeah, that's a great question, Ryan. I think, you know, the reality of the matter is companies need to be run well, right? They need to have a strong strategy and they need to execute on that strategy and be executing well to consider, I think, a buy side or a sell side deal. I think um, what attracts buyers to a company that's selling is one that is operating efficiently, uh, that is growing ideally in the top quartile, that is realizing top quartile profit vis-a-vis -vis their peers. As we've talked about many times before, you know, profitability is the greatest um, lever that you've got to, you know, get a significant premium in value if you're selling. Uh, likewise, if you're buying, you want to buy a healthy business that has a lot going for it. Uh, you know, you're really most buyers and we advise these guys not to really look at fixer uppers, right? Or companies that are have issues or problems or challenges. There's certainly buyers that have been successful in doing that. But usually there's more skeletons in the closet than uh, uh, than you know when you're looking at buying a company that's um, not performing well. So to answer the question more directly, it's really about kind of getting your house in order ahead of uh, being prepared to sell your business and really doing what's necessary to be in the top quartile of your peers for both growth and profit. Yeah, both of those also impact valuation quite a bit. If you're coming in with lower profit, it's simply selling your company is very difficult just because buyers are not interested and cannot find the right rate of returns. And frankly, you might be better off doing a strategy product project first and, and looking at hitting the brakes and saying, hey, you know, let's take a look at growing the company faster and better before going into that. So if we uh, let's say assume we we are we do pass the strategy test and someone has come to the mindset that they're ready to sell, uh, and we're looking at the first 30 days. And and for this example, let's say they've engaged a firm like uh, Revenue Rocket or another uh, type of acquisition advisory firm. What's really needed in that first 30 days? Well, certainly you want to determine uh, valuation, right? And you know, in our 
process, we actually, you know, spend the first 30 days looking at readiness. You know, are you really ready to sell? Have you dialed in the business to optimize value? Have you, what is your real market-based price or market value based on our review of your strategy and your financials and a variety of other factors? Um, and, you know, once you've determined that number and you have that sort of, and you've agreed that that seems to make sense, then there's a whole another set of preparation that needs to go into developing the marketing and the marketing materials to bring your firm to market. Um, and then, you know, that usually consumes most of the first 30 days. Um, beyond that, you know, you've got to begin outreach and marketing and looking for the buyer. I mean, I guess in the first 30 days, you would also look at that ideal profile of a buyer. Um, you know, certainly understanding that all deals need to align uh, strategically, culturally and financially to get done. Uh, you need to have that in your mindset as to who strategically would be a good acquirer, um, what sort of cultural attributes around customer care and employee care philosophies align to ours. And then, you know, ultimately, what is my number, right? What is the number I'd be willing to sell the business for, which is goes into that sort of valuation and marketability we talked about. Yeah, I, Mike, I want to add something here that uh, that document creation is a, is a very interesting time um, in selling your business. Yeah, you, you have to pause. You have to take a bit of time out of your day in order to really think about what makes my firm special and then be able to convey that with your advisor in a way that uh, can be uh, documented correctly and put into the marketing documents. Uh, I think what some sellers becomes uh, very interesting uh, in, in looking at the documents because they're they're looking at it from their own lens. In, in reality, we're trying to get a market to go look at your company, but not necessarily give away your company. So uh, you have to understand that um, kind of we're trying to create the best look of your company without anyone ever knowing that it's you. Uh, and letting competitors or employees know that uh, a process is going on. So I think there's a lot of thought to, to positioning at that time. And if I was to ask any clients that are out there uh, to, to talk, uh, talk clearly about really what sets you apart and you know, why are you selling and, and how you could potentially make a one plus one equals three um, situation. So the other part to this is, um, you know, after a point, uh, and I think 30 days is about right, you have to say yes or no, you know, a go or no go. And uh, Mike, what, what, what do you think actually goes into into that decision? Uh, sometimes it's not just evaluation alone. And I'd love to hear. Yeah, you know, it's a good question, Ryan. I would tell you that, you know, a lot of that from a seller's perspective has to do with, are you mentally in a place where you can sell your business? Um, and you know what you're going to do next, right? Whether that's staying with the company and playing a different role, um, like it's not atypical for us to have a conversation with a with a seller, and they might say, "Hey, I really want to play a technical role, or I really want to be a more full time evangelist, uh, or I want to be a sales guy, right?" Or they may say, "I want to sell." I call it selling in, where people look at playing a significant role. Uh, moving forward, they may want to be a market leader for a bigger firm, 
so they're still managing their location or their firm, but then they're also thinking more broadly about market expansion and playing a role uh, in a market or markets. Um, but if you're selling out, you also have to have clarity about what you're going to do and what that sort of deadline is. Uh, and that's the case for many people that are approaching retirement. There's lots of IT services companies that you know were started 20, 25 years ago or more, and the and the owners are approaching retirement age and are beginning to think about hey, if we exit, then what's it going to be? And I guess I would encourage you know those owners who are thinking about an exit to really give some thought about kind of what's next and have a plan. Um, because where we see these, uh, where we see not only once you've determined your price and agree that that works, where we see sellers having problems is when they can't rationalize what it is they're going to do next. And we think that ha you have to have extreme clarity around that, whether that's selling in and staying with the new entity that acquires you or selling out uh, and moving on to you know, doing whatever it is you might want to do next. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, typically I would say that 30 days is about right. Um, I will say that if you're not working in concert with your advisor, it's extremely difficult to pull this together if you're too far apart. So your advisor can't do everything because they simply don't know the firm like you do. At the same time, you really have to be focused on running your business. So you can't take the ball off, your eye off the ball so bad that uh, you can't you know, run the, the company into a ditch. But at the same time, you got to be kind of responsive to the things that are out there uh, that people just don't know. So, you know, where we see things go past 30 days is uh, when financials don't tie out. So I, I can't, it's very helpful to have uh, your P&L uh, profit show up on your balance sheet and then be in the same number. And your, uh, your ConnectWise having the same number as your QuickBooks and your, uh, and essentially the financials uh, tying together. So uh, again, this is perhaps before the 30 days, but understanding that your financial books are put together in the correct manner is gonna make the process so much smoother. Uh, if not, really expect that decision to go much longer than uh, 30 days. Yeah, I, so, I, would also add, I would also add, Ryan, and, and I'd love to get your perspective on this, you know, it'd be our recommendation, I guess, to, you know, get a compilation or go through a financial sort of review with your CPA firm or a firm to get opinions about what may need to change in how you've put together your books. It's critical. You don't need an audit. You know, a lot of people talk about, well, you really need an audit if you're going to sell your business, blah, blah, blah. We think for most IT services companies, that's not required. Um, you know, it might help, but, you know, as you know, audits are expensive and, and what's much more important, however, is that your financials tie out properly, that they're easy to understand, that there's some history there that shows the trajectory of the growth of the business and pro growth of the profitability in the business. Um, if you have to uh, explain your financials or you can't answer the questions about your financials because of, you know, maybe there was some booking errors. Maybe there were some challenges with how you were recognizing revenue or how you, you know, or your cash flow was uh, inconsistent. 
you, you really need to look at that internally and get some get some outside counsel on how to remedy those challenges probably before you go to market. Because if you don't, what's going to happen is it's going to negatively impact value or, or even your marketability. What's your opinion on that, Ryan? I, I think an audit is an awesome checkbox if you have it. But it's, to your point, not necessarily uh, necessary. And interestingly enough, an audited financial statement typically doesn't give the level of detail that a buyer wants. So it's a, you know, if I was going to spend time and money, we'd absolutely be focused on getting a P&L uh, to tie out to, to a balance sheet and, and ensuring that costs are properly allocated and that there's some kind of, uh, you know, that you really put time and effort into understanding reoccurring and repeatable business. I think those are all metrics that are very important in valuation and in selling the company. Uh, people want to, if you're selling a services company as a growing concern, people want to understand that there's a great history and there's um, that there's repeatable business is core to, core to that. So, you know, if I was going to put a money and time effort, it wouldn't necessarily be the audited financials, but they sh they sure are nice to a buyer for a confidence building that the books are are actually correct. Uh, with that, you know, transitioning a little bit, if you think beyond the 30 days, your financials are in order, and you said yes, uh, we agree to evaluation. Uh, the next step is kind of that next 30 days, so you know, 60 days out. Uh, you know, in, in our process, that would be building your target accounts that you're going to go after, and, and uh, both on a buy side or sell side project. And a lot of times should really be thought of crafting you know, who is that ideal prospect profile. And, and ideally, you're going to have competitors, you're going to have partners, you're going to have kind of that, that hunch of what's out there. But the next, the next, next stage is really pipeline building. Uh, and and, and uh, there's a mix of broad marketing and a mix of targeted account marketing with that approach. So if, the, if we, look, again, look at the next 30 days, it's oftentimes, uh, it's probably the hardest for a seller to go through because there's action that's going on that's not necessarily seen. Uh, so there's a lot of calls, emails, connections, introdu introductions to friends and family that are, are, if you surfaced everything straight to you as the client, uh, you get overwhelmed. So I think that the next 30 days are kind of, uh, they feel like doldrums. Uh, but, you know, in reality, there's a, it's, you might see a calm duck on the on the water, but there's a, a ton of paddling uh, as we're going through that. So I kind of, if I give any advice, be patient through the next 30 days as the pipeline starts to build. Um, and what happens is typically companies have a one firm at a time uh, comes to the surface. And Mike, I'm kind of curious, what do you think about when there's uh, multiple firms at the table? And are, are things like auctions even possible when, when you're even trying to sell uh, an IT services firm? Yeah, well, you know, that's a good question, Ryan. I, I, we're not big fans of auctions. I think auctions, you know, came to be when com companies that are being acquired are much more, um, what I would say, much more hard asset or more of a, a commodity. Uh, where it's easy in a maybe a manufacturing company to know all the metrics and quote unquote bid uh, against, buyers to bid against one another 
to buy that business. Um, in a in an IT services firm, you know, there's so many variables associated with not only the quality of the revenue and the cash flows, but also the offering and the team and the strategic value to the market and all that stuff that, you know, finding the right buyer or acquiring the right firm. And let's for a moment say that it's finding the right buyer for selling um, is very much uh, reliant on that strategy fit and culture fit. Um, I have often said in the past that there's only two things that are going to blow up a deal post-transaction, uh, post-close, and that's uh, misalignment on culture fit and a poor uh, post-merger integration planning. And either one or both of those things will cause a deal to fail. Um, and so that's particularly relevant in tech services. So it's it's more important to find the right deal than to find a quantity of deals um, to compete to try to run a quote unquote run up the price. We haven't seen that be the case over the last 20 years that, um, you know, you can successfully go get competing bidders at an arm's length uh, to bid for firms to run the quote unquote run the price up because those buyers just have to know too much and there's too much um, uh, qualitative aspects to the acquisition or in the case of the sale um, to run an auction. Doesn't mean that you won't have multiple buyers that are interested at the same time. We think you can get the same sort of leverage uh, if you can do that. But there's many deals where you know we advise uh, clients to take the deal or to do the deal um, when there's only one buyer at the table because the deal is right based on fair value and you know strategy alignment, cultural alignment, all the other you know qualitative attributes of a deal. The deal is right. You don't have to have three firms or five firms or ten firms that all line up uh, perfectly at the same time in order to optimize your value. And then oftentimes, you know, pricing as a consideration or sales price is only one of the variables. And actually, when you look at it, it is not the most important variable to most sellers. Um, that variable has a lot to do with continuity of the business and taking care of the team and focusing on making sure the customers are well-serviced. All those things trump the price paid for the business. So it sort of neuters the concept that an auction is even possible in IT services, and it mirrors our experience as well. I would say that the other thing to consider is that when you take a strategic approach to find a buyer or, or even trying to find a, a, a seller, a company willing to sell, um, oftentimes the first company that we talk to might actually be the, the buyer or the seller. So it, because there, you know, if you have strategic alignment in your targeting process, uh, the companies that you talk to are are going to be the ones that are, are winners to start. Uh, and we try to eliminate as much chance as possible. Now, that being said, Mike, you know, how many do you think, how many suitors need to be brought to the table? I mean, uh, we, you've, I've heard you say many times that all it takes is one. Uh, but does every deal need to have multiple uh, multiple people looking at it or multiple people uh, putting offers in 
kind of it's uh, how many, how many, for example, how many IOIs or LOIs come 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 in in a, a typical process? Yeah, there. Uh, first of all, I'd say there's no typical process. I'd say that you know there's processes that get you know 15 offers, and there's ones that only get one. Um, and very few, uh, fortunately, in our experience, they get none. I mean, it does occur, but I would say it's extremely rare for us. It's single-digit percentage um, uh, that don't get, quote-unquote, offers. Um, there's certainly, uh, if you're running an effective process, you will find buyers and, and, uh, and sellers that want to come together to transact a deal. And, you know, the... Uh, it's an overused term, but the art of the deal comes from your ability to um, sort of help bring those parties together and transact a deal where that's win-win. Um, you know, it needs to be win-win to get done. There are no win-lose M&A deals that get done because people just don't engage in those if they're on the losing side of that equation. Um, so it does just take one. Um, and we think if it's right, it'll happen. Now that one may not, you know, like I said, if it's not right, it won't, or we can continue to look. I think in a typical process, we target a large number of potential buyers. Um, we narrow that down to, you know, the serious candidates, and then we get further into a dialogue about value and then down to, you know, a handful um of uh of buyers let's say you know less than 10 typically um that are serious about putting in an offer and looking at a deal that could get done um you know ultimately to get to one i think what everyone has to remember is that regardless of how many you have you will only have one <laughs> that ultimately prevails and so um, you know, my comments about it only takes one. It only takes one because it only will be one uh, when everything's said and done. Yeah, that, that's a, a great point, and, and, and I can appreciate that. Uh, and, and I will note that it can take uh, these processes. You're typically going to have um, multiple suitors, but it may take a time to get them to, to get them going. Uh, outreach typically begins by having a strategic approach, and um, that strategic approach will have oftentimes have some kind of gate to it where uh, we're talking and moving things forward. But we, we might slow roll one uh, company compared to moving fast with another just on trying to get uh, people to, the, to a similar uh, point of making an offer. Uh, now, it is difficult to get people to make an offer at the same time. It's just something that it's a, a reality of anyone doing a deal. Uh, it, there is no kind of you know, show up like a realtor and they've got a, a, a date. And uh, you can certainly put a date out there to, for you know, a call for indication of interest. But in reality, those dates are, are extremely flexible. So if we think about this in 30 days, we were saying yes or no. Uh, by 60 days, we're perhaps bringing uh, suitors to the table. Um, but in reality, that 60 days can be as long as, I mean, it can be as long as a year. In fact, some companies are out on the market for, for longer than longer than that. Um, and that's some, sometimes has nothing to do with your firm, but more the market conditions and what we're going through. And I think uh, COVID this year was a very interesting example of, of buyers going back and forth on if they should be participating in an acquisition process or not. So let's assume that we do get a buyer 
uh, on the table and, and we're starting negotiations. Uh, Mike, how long should a typical um, negotiation for an LOI take? Again, understanding there's no typical deal, but if we got someone engaged, uh, should, a, should an LOI come across the table in a, in a day, a week, a month? What's, what's, that, what's that look like? Well, you know, our approach kind of inside the sausage making is to get agreement with a buyer on price and terms broadly, verbally. Uh, we think that's the right approach. Um, and then, and, and part of that's because we don't want to represent an LOI to our client that they won't accept. So we try to have a dialogue with our client and the buyer. Um, or if it's the other way around, make the offer on behalf of a buyer to a seller and get agreement that, uh, yeah, generally, if it looks like this, we'll accept it. Um, then, you know, it can take anywhere from a day to weeks uh, to get a letter of intent actually issued. And then once it is issued, um, it can take uh, some time to get the T's and C's negotiated. I think a lot of that depends on how complex a buyer uh, chooses to make a letter of intent. Um, we're fans of it being pretty simple because letters of intent by their nature are for the most part non-binding, um, meaning they are documenting uh, the price and terms. And usually they have a binding provision as it relates to confidentiality and what we call a lockout. And that lockout has to do with uh, the seller not accepting other um, offers while that due diligence is being worked on on the uh, buyer uh, and this uh, in order to you know put together a definitive agreement. Um, so if it's not arduous, and certainly we see buyers that make LOIs more complex than they need to be, and they're arduous, and those need to be negotiated, and that can take a long time. That can take, you know, if it's very arduous, it may take six, seven, eight, ten revisions. Um, but in general, uh, LOIs are revised once or twice. It takes a matter of days to weeks to get them done. Uh, and once they're signed, then, uh, you know, the real work starts. Yeah, and I think one of the things to watch out for is uh, the length of a lockout. Uh, so if, if someone is uh, asking for six plus months to do to, to due diligence, that could be a sign. Uh, any thoughts on that, Mike? Yeah, for sure. You know, um, or they're not asking for a lockout. We've seen buyers put forth letters of intent that are six months out with no lockout. And you really have to say how serious are they or how confident are they in getting their financing? And there's buyers that are active in the market today that operate that way that aren't very serious or don't have financing. Um, and, and we think, you know, we'd advise any sellers to watch out for that, right? You don't want dreamers trying to sign up to buy your business only if they can use your business as, uh, if you will, fodder to try to solicit or find financing um, or, you know, begin to dream about a combination that's not possible because they just don't have their, their act together. So I, I think it's reasonable to get to a close um, within 90 days. Uh, I would say most deals go from signed letter of intent to close within 90 days. Um, some of them go longer, uh, particularly if what's needed is uh, some rigor around a quality of earnings analysis, which oftentimes is uh, run by an accounting firm 
uh, on behalf of the buyer. And some buyers require it, some buyers don't, depending on who they are and what they need and what they see. But usually that adds a month or so to the process, uh, which means you know you could go now to four months. Um, if you're having difficulty negotiating the definitive agreement, um, usually because one of the lawyers on uh, either side of the deal is frankly trying to uh, run their billable time up, uh, which lawyers do from time to time, uh, it can be a longer process than it should be. And we've seen closing processes take up to six months from the time a letter of intent is signed until it closes. That's kind of the outside range. So, you know, 90 to 180 days is probably appropriate. Many of them get done in 90 days. But if there's other diligence that's required or uh, legal is being a stickler about uh, wanting to, you know, negotiate every little term in the agreement, and be what we would consider to be unreasonable, um, then, you know, it could take longer. Sure, sure. And I'm kind of curious just to back up a tiny bit. What, what do you think about firms? How should they be issuing, an, if they're buying someone, should they be issuing an LOI quickly or should they be doing more due diligence before issuing that LOI? And kind of how, how does the pace of issuing the LOI impact the pace of getting a, a deal done? That's a great question. And so what I would tell you is that we're big fans of moving quickly um, because it's a competitive market. And if you're a buyer, you need to be nimble and fast, uh, be able to make a decision, be able to author in a letter of intent, and be able to get it in the hands of a potential seller as quickly as possible. Because the likelihood that a seller is having multiple conversations at the same time is high. And the longer you wait, as we often say in this business, you know, the time is not your friend. The longer you wait, the higher the likelihood that you will not be successful in acquiring that company. It's directly correlated. So if you feel that you, you know, want to make a market-based offer for a company, and it lines up strategically, culturally, and financially broadly, you should issue the letter of intent. The purpose of the post letter of intent due diligence is all about validating whether the assumptions you made up front with limited information are in fact correct and making sure that that firm aligns to the strategic, cultural, and financial aspects that are needed for you to, you know, provide to pay that price and provide those terms. We think it's an error to try to make a letter of intent more broadly binding, as some buyers do, or to put craziness in like, you know, breakup fees and all kinds of other things that are not what we would consider uh, standard practice because it just delays the deal and causes, it sours the relationship with a seller. So you wanna go into a due diligence effort with a lot of momentum and excitement about the deal getting done, uh, predominantly because due diligence is hard and it requires a lot of work on behalf of all the parties. Uh, and you have to be able to uh, enter it without a seller looking over their shoulder about uh, why a buyer might want to take advantage of that. 
And I think the best way to do that is to move quickly on the letter of intent and keep it simple. Sure. I think one of the things to consider, and this is what makes timing so difficult uh, when running an M&A process, is that you have a, if you have a strategic buyer, they're likely going to put a time frame on the LOI. And they're, so you, if you, you know, this offer is, this LOI is only good until XYZ. And some we've seen days on an LOI for acceptance, <laughs> which is, I think, a, a little bit, um, is not like a, a process. This is a process that requires thought. So having a day is oftentimes just a more gamesmanship uh, than than anything. And so the buyers, you know, trying to put a limited time LOI out there, but then also have a long term kind of lockout period. So that's why it's it's hard to get everyone at the table at the exact right time for kind of a multiple multiple bidding situation uh, because of those two timing constraints. And if if I hear you correct, Mike, it can again we we say sometimes you know six to nine months depending on the the market. I think it's very very reasonable to be nine to twelve months um, or even beyond. I'm curious if you I mean are there cases in which uh, can a world wouldn't romance happen with a buyer and seller? You know, can they find each other, fall in love, you know, get engaged and get married in in a matter of a month? Yeah, not in a matter of a month, but we've certainly seen it happen in a matter of 90 days. I think particularly we've had situations where um, a client might come to us with a buyer in mind and they want us to do a facilitation. And a merger facilitation is different than running a process on a buy side or sell side because buyers and sellers have already found each other. They've already generally vetted that, hey, I like these guys. We might be able to work with each other. Uh, there looks to be a strategic fit. So they've kind of already done some of the work, and now they need someone to kind of make the deal work, right? To be able to make sure there's no mistakes made and work with the lawyers and both sides of the deal to, you know, make it happen. And in those cases, we really represent the deal. We're someone who's here to make sure that, you know, the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Because oftentimes, and, and I'm not disparaging the role of your legal advisor because they're absolutely necessary to make sure these documents are legally built properly, but they're coming at it from more of a, a legal uh, diligence, legal alignment perspective, and oftentimes don't have the depth of experience in the industry to provide the business context around the business negotiations. Um, and that's not always the case. Uh, but in general, most M&A lawyers are M&A lawyers for all industries, not M&A lawyers for IT services companies only. And as a result, their value in the uh, merits of what's reasonable or not reasonable in a business negotiation takes the lens of a of a uh, more of a generalist. And we think a specialist is required to get to the optimal deal. But uh, given that, yeah, it can happen within 90 days. Certainly, even in running a process, we've seen them happen pretty quickly. I think for us, the fastest has been about four months. Um, so it can occur. It's not outside the realm of possibility. Um, and at the same time, to be fair, it's, there's been times that it takes longer. Uh, you know, I think the right deal is out there for everybody. Uh, I think the key is having the patience and, and fortitude to actually, you know, keep looking 
whether you're rep, you know, doing a buy side deal and acquiring a business or selling, um, and being diligent about having steady hand on the tiller, uh, because it's easy to stop the process uh, uh, early and just not, you know, not have found the right fit. Um, it's tougher to be diligent about, you know, staying in the game long enough. Uh, to get a deal done because, you know, again, M&A has been called the most unnatural act in business for a reason. There are a lot of things about it that don't aren't comfortable. And I think the folks that get deals done are ones that can uh, stay the course, trust their advisors and and ultimately, um, you know, get to the finish line. Yes, I, I totally agree. And with that, Mike, I, I think that kind of wraps up our, our timeline. So I'll let you pass it over to you. Thanks, Ryan. Thanks for uh, taking the time today and uh, all of you are listening along for your time. Hopefully you found this content valuable. So with that, as we say every week, we will tie a ribbon on this week's uh, Shoot the Moon podcast by Revenue Rocket. We look forward to uh, being uh, part of your hopefully listening enjoyment next week as we explore growth strategy topics and M&A topics that impact IT services firms around the world. Thanks and have a great day.